This is the West Concord Sermon Podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you receive a blessing from today's message. All right. Busy Christmas time. Y'all been busy? Y'all get busy? I bet you do. There are days when I'm busy. Let me ask you. You don't have to raise your hand or anything, but you ever eat lunch in your car you're so busy? Yeah. I do. Sometimes I get lunch. I'm in my car. And I'm very careful about what I pick because you have to eat something that you can still drive with. No, no sauces, no ketchup. So generally I'll go to Chick-fil-A and I'll get me a chicken sandwich. We say sandwich in the South. I'll get me a chicken sandwich and I'll get a fry. You know, order of fries and I'll have it in the bag there in the seat next to me. And as I'm making my way back down 29, going wherever I'm going, I'll reach in there. And I, I have got, I got it down to an art that I can unwrap the sandwich, eat it, and never let go of the steering wheel. Okay? Now, I don't suggest that. Don't try that at home. I'm a professional car eater. All right? But as I'm going along, I'm also digging in the bag for the french fries, the waffle fries, whatever. And I'm just snacking on them as I'm listening to the radio and driving my car and going wherever I'm going. And then I get discouraged because of why. I'm done. There are no more fries. And I look at the empty bag of my sandwich and I'm disappointed because a little bit I'm still hungry. But I get where I'm going and I go to collect my refuse, my little garbage, and there it is. Because you know you do it too. Before you throw away your trash, you always look in the bottom of the bag And then you see it, that one last fry. And like comedian Tim Hawkins says, and when you see it, it's like symphony music begins to play. You hear Handel's Messiah in your mind. It's that one last fry. You thought you'd exhausted everything in that bag and you got that one last treasure. And you eat that with relish. It's just so amazing. You know, as I was praying about bringing the message this morning, God just opened a passage in Galatians to me. Now, we have been going through the book of Galatians on Wednesday night, where Paul tells us through God's inspiration, tells us that, listen, the Spirit of of God has set free the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And in the book of Galatians, Paul champions the message of grace apart from moralism, apart from religion, apart from legalism. And he champions the idea that we're saved by grace through faith, plus and minus nothing. And within that book, and we've already gone through this passage on Wednesday night, but within that book in chapter 4, Paul takes us to the Christmas story. And I wouldn't have preached this this morning, but again, it's like reaching into that bag. You think you got everything out of it you needed to get out of it, But there's that one treasure still there. And God kept allowing this passage to pop up. It popped up on my Facebook feed out of nowhere. It also popped up in my devotional one day earlier in the week. And it seemed like I could not get away from the passage in Galatians chapter 4 where we're going to be this morning. So Galatians chapter 4, as I was digging through God's Word to mine those treasures, I found this one yet again. There's one last thing that needs to be shared. Not last thing there is, but last for us in this study. We're going to look at the Christmas story. We're going to spend Christmas with Paul this morning. Because again, Paul champions the message of Christ. 
The message of the, of the idea that God took on human flesh. That God opened the door of human experience and came in to join us so that he might save us. And that's what Christmas is all about. As a matter of fact, Martin Luther, the great reformer and theologian, said the mystery of the humanity of Christ, that he sunk himself into our flesh, is beyond all human understanding. People talk about the magic and wonder of Christmas. That is the magic and wonder of Christmas. The fact that God would sink himself in flesh, human flesh, flesh that struggles, flesh that gets cold, flesh that gets sick, flesh that gets tired, flesh that gets hungry, flesh that feels pain, sorrow, betrayal, want. That's the beauty of Christmas. It's an amazing story. The Bible said hundreds of years before Christ that Christ would come and do exactly that. And this time of the year, we hear passages such as Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, where he says, it says there, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. He's talking to the Jewish people to encourage them. He says, behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel. One of the many names of Christ is Emmanuel, which literally means God with us. God with us. That's amazing to me. I, I, I get to thinking about that and looking at that. I'm just blown away by the, by the wonder and significance of it. God with us. All other human religions have God far off in his, in his heavenly tower, casting aspersions and judgments down on humanity. Not caring about what goes on in our lives and in our hearts, but God, the real God, the true God, he not only cared, but he cared enough to come. He cared enough to descend. He cared enough to clothe himself in the very quivering, struggling flesh that we carry around every day. And that's the excitement of Christmas. And, and, and of course, a, the Christmas season has wonderful music that extols that message. We've had some wonderful music this morning. Get us all excited. Tonight at 6 o'clock, man, we're going to have a great time. There's nothing on TV that's going to beat being here tonight. We're going to see the children singing about Christ. And I love Christmas music. I love it, man, at Christmas time. When I have my car radio, I can turn it on to the Christmas music and just listen to it all. One of the songs that I always stop to really listen to, especially if it's performed well, is the song, Oh Holy Night. Are y'all familiar with that song? Oh Holy Night. Oh Holy Night always sticks with me. I love that song. And the years, years ago, 100 years ago, when I used to sing, I sang that song. And I sang it probably only twice because it's a very difficult song to really get a hold of. And I was afraid to mess it up because I didn't want to not do it justice. Because the message of that song is so amazing and so poignant. And so this morning as, as we prayed and as I prayed about preaching from this chapter in Galatians chapter 4... This song just would not leave my mind as well as I began mapping out and, and asking God to direct me as I, as I outlined this passage. And so I used verses from this song as our outline. Interesting thing about the song, the song was written by a Frenchman, the poem, 
of the song that the song is based on was written by a Frenchman who had turned his back upon God. The music was written by a Jewish man who really did not even know his Messiah. And then it was translated into English. It was translated by a Unitarian pastor. Unitarians oftentimes reject the Christian message and accept all messages. And then when the song began to be sung and began to be popular, they wanted to ban it. As a matter of fact, many large denominations banned O Holy Night. Can you believe that? And the reason why some of them said that they banned it is because too many people were listening to it and coming to Christ and Christ alone as their Savior. I'm sorry, I was reading that. I was blown away by that story. Because the song, despite its varied and, and strange background, has the simple message of a world longing for redemption, finding it in the Christ who would appear. So join me in Galatians chapter 4 as we look at this passage with this song as a sort of a scaffolding that we build this, this message on as we read the scriptures. In Galatians chapter 4, you know, one of the lines is in the song, one of the verses says, Long lay the world in sin and error pining. And oftentimes we'll sing through that and not think about the words. But think about that. Long lay the world in sin and error, just pining for redemption. Paul, as he's trying to explain the gospel to the Galatian people, in the midst of their confusion, because religious Jews who, yes, they'd accepted Christ, but they also tacked on Judaistic principles and commands and laws to the gospel. In other words, they told the Gentile Galatians that in order to become a Christian, yes, you had to receive Jesus as your Savior, but you also had to become a Jew. And Paul was furious because that is a corruption of the true gospel of grace in Christ. Christianity has nothing to do with religion. Christ came simply because we could not keep the law, not just of Judaism, but any religious law. As a matter of fact, that's what Paul brings out in Galatians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. He says, now I say that an heir, he's talking about those who are living in a Greco-Roman home. The people of Galatia were Gentiles. They were Greco-Roman. Some were Latin, some were Greek. And so they would understand that in a noble home, in a noble Gentile home, especially that of a rich family, the children would be heirs to the family's estate. Specifically, the adult sons, the grown sons, the oldest sons. And oftentimes, the word son was used in legal documents to refer to either the son or the oldest daughter. And that heir would be, would be the recipient of all that the father and mother had accumulated, but he or she had to wait. It says, now I say to you that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave though he is master of all, but is under, the guardian, uh, is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. Long lay the world in sin and error, pining. Think of that child in that family. In one of those ancient families, 
Not only was he basically still treated like a slave, but he was under direction of servants and slaves, even though he was an heir to that fortune. Even though that child, even though he or she were going to inherit that, that grand estate that that family most likely owned, that child was just enslaved and even under slavery until such time the father determined their worth. The Latin phrase is liberali, when that heir would become the recipient and would become part of that noble family. Paul was trying to tell the Galatians, listen, not only are we slaves to the slaves that God has placed us under, but we are also ensnared in the ends of the world. He talks about that. Even so, when we were children, we were bondage under the elements of the world. And as we said on Wednesday night, that phrase, elements, literally talks about the cause and effect of the world that we live in. We live in a sinful, broken world. Bad stuff happens. People do bad things. Bad things happen. All of us have experienced that in one way or another. Actually, the Greek word for elements literally means the ABCs of the world. Today, it's raining outside. You're going to get caught in it unless you, unless you have somebody who can beam you home. Okay, you're going to get wet. Your car's going to get wet. You're going to get mud in your yard, mud in your house. That's just the ABCs of the world. If there's a bad thunderstorm, if there's flooding, God forbid you might get flooded. We're in the elements of nature. If you go out in the woods tromping around today, there might be a snake. That snake might bite you. You might get sick. The flu is going around. I don't know about you, but I've washed my hands so much they crack when I move them. But that's part of the elements of the world. We are enslaved by the world's nature and the world's elements. Not only that, but we're enslaved in our own bodies under our own sinfulness. Before you knew Christ as Savior, you were sinful. You still are. You just now have an advocate with the Father and can confess it and get forgiveness. But listen, we're enslaved and ensnared by the world. We're enslaved by the law. Jewish law, civil law, even the laws of nature. And because of that, we're constantly frustrated, constantly saddened, constantly burdened. Because one minute things are going well, and the next minute, boom, things are going bad. And we think we're making headway and we're honoring God. Well, thou shalt not. You will not. Don't do this. Don't do that. We can never win. That's the way it was up until Christ came the first time. Gentiles were ensnared by the elements of the world. Jewish people, religious people were ensnared by their own law. And listen, those laws, no one can keep them. If you're here today and you think, you, you think you're saved by the Ten Commandments, you're not saved. Because while you're probably a very nice person, you can't keep all of the commandments. We've talked about that many times. We are enslaved by the law. We are ensnared by the elements of the world. And that's where we sin and we pine and we yearn for redemption. I mean, I'm sure you've mumbled to yourself time after time, oh, just deliver me from this. Our spirits are made to yearn for deliverance. Our hearts are made with eternity in mind. Long lay the world, not only for the Jews, it was 2,000 years from Abraham till Jesus when he came and brought redemption. But even before Abraham, humanity from Adam up until then 
We're, we're under the elements of the world, the laws of nature, cause and effect, suffering, struggling, hurting. And then after Christ was, was, was with us, and he lived, he died, he rose, and now here it is 2,000 years later again. And we're still under the elements of the world, and people are still trying to enslave us in their law. Long lay the world in sin and error, pining, longing, yearning for that deliverance, yearning for that, that redemption. See, that's what you feel when you're frustrated with something. That's what you feel when you're angry at something. That's what you feel when somebody lets you down, when, when law betrays you, when the world goes against you. That's what you're feeling. You're pressed down by religiosity. You're pressed down by nature. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. Enslaved to a law you can't keep and ensnared by the elements of the world. But then you read the next verse. <laughs> verse 4. But. You know I did in my Bible? This is why I love a digital Bible. I went through and I underlined every word but or but God. And there are some 50 plus phrases like that, more so that I didn't even get to. In the midst of that sorrow, we're pining for deliverance, we're yearning for it. But we come to verse 4, and we also come to the line in the song. We were enslaved, we were pining, we were yearning till he appeared. Till he appeared! Longing, hurting, till he appeared. Look what it says. But, verse 4, when the fullness of the time had come, when it was the right time, when the fullness of the time had come, God sent his son. Look at this. God sent forth his son, born of a woman. Paul harkens back to the virgin birth. Born under the law. Remember, Jesus was a Jew. His mother was a Jew. His father were, was a Jew. He was born in Bethlehem of Israel, Judea. Jesus was a Jew. He was born under the law as a Jew. Born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive adoption as sons. We were yearning, pining under sin and error. But he finally appeared. All the prayers, all the longings, all the yearnings. And then he appeared. This is why Christmas is so amazing. This is why Christmas has much more power and majesty than all the trimmings and trappings that the world can conjure for their holiday. And oftentimes, if you're like me, you lose that because we get caught up. Listen, I love the trimmings and trappings of the holiday. I love the beautiful lights, the beautiful red poinsettias. I like the, the delicious food. We were out yesterday. I've been planning Christmas dinner. That's exciting. I'm looking forward to that. I love the exchange of gifts. I love the singing of the songs. I'm looking forward to the night tonight. I'm excited. Kids always do a good job. But even with all of that, the majesty 
the wonder, the magic and power of Christmas is that he appeared. And in appearing, first of all, he finally appeared to redeem us. It's interesting, the word redeem literally means to buy out. It was used as a term to buy a slave out of slavery. And it had actually a twofold meaning. The word redeem not only means to buy out, but to set free. When you come to know Christ as Savior, the Savior that appeared, when you receive him as your Savior, you are then redeemed or bought out of the slavery that you've been under. Like the child under slavery, like, like, like the, 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 the human being under the elements. You've been purchased out, you've been bought out. But not only did he buy us out of slavery, through Christ we are set free. See, that's the beauty of the book of Galatians. The book of Galatians, the Judaizers that followed Paul around told the Galatian people, look, yeah, you got to receive Christ, but you better keep the law. You'd better become a Jew. You'd better, you'd better do X, Y, and Z. Boy, Paul was ticked in the book of, of Galatians. We've been talking about that on Wednesday night. You talk about a, 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 a temper. God used that temper to bring this message and say, understand this, the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ, it redeems us from legalism. It redeems us from moralism. Let's properly define those terms. Usually we use them as, as bludgeons to beat people who disagree with us. But the term legalism literally means trying to be saved by keeping religious law. You can't do it. It won't work. Moralism is the idea that we can, we can be saved by just being good people. Listen, none of us are that good. And none of us ever will be. But he redeemed us out of that. And then he set us free from that. I was in the car one day with my mom years ago when I was in Bible college. And my mom had heard the gospel. She was, she was dealing with it. And she said, you know, the Bible teaches that you're saved by faith alone. She said, then why are you going to Bible college and becoming a minister? My mom wasn't happy about that. Neither was my dad. They wanted me to go out and get a real job. I could preach three hours on that line alone. And she said, if you're saved by grace, if we're saved by faith, why then are you going to Bible college and doing all this stuff? Why do you have to do that? I said, Mom, for one thing, I don't have to do that to be saved. I do that because I am saved. I want to do that. I want to do that. I didn't have to go to Bible college, but God compelled me to do that. And in doing that, I wanted to tell God and give my life to him and say, thank you for saving me. Thank you for saving me. I'm not doing it because I have some law to keep. I'm not doing it because I'm living by someone else's morals. I have, uh, there was a point in my life where I finally surrendered my life to Christ once and for all. And yes, there are days I stumble and days I have to go back and renew that. But overall, I do it because I love him. I do it because I want to, not because I have to. The faith in Christ that we share and have liberates us. He finally appeared to redeem us. Not only that, but in his redemption, he faithfully appeared to adopt us. Again, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem us, to buy us out, set us free. 
those who are under the law that we might receive adoptions as sons. Now you say sons, what about the women? Well, again, that's that legal term that refers to heirs of the home. In other words, not only were we bought out of redemption, but we became placed into God's family as heirs to his fortune, as heirs to heaven's treasures. You and I then became children of God, sons and daughters of God. And as we've said before in the last little while, princes and princesses of God. Like the heir in the average Gentile home when Paul was writing, he or she, they were no better and treated no different than the average slave in the household, and they were actually governed by slaves and servants. But at that one point when the father declared liberalia, they were then redeemed out of that and became heirs to everything. That's what happens at Christmas. God sent his son so that we might become sons and daughters of God. He adopted us into his family. That's a wonderful thing, adoption. God bless those who go out and adopt children who are in need of homes. Adoption is a beautiful thing. Adoption is a sweet picture of how we've been adopted into God's family. Literally, when you receive Christ as Savior, the Spirit of God came in you. And John tells us in chapter 3 that we must be born again. So you are now a child of God. That's what happens when He appeared. And if you know Christ as Savior, you are His son. You are His daughter. In a real sense, in a spiritual sense, and in a legal sense. You are the prince and princesses of God in all his majesty and royalty. And through Christ, according to Romans, we are joint heirs with Christ. We will inherit the splendors of heaven. Now, let me again clarify as I did a few weeks ago, that doesn't mean we're any better than anybody else. We're all sinners. We all fall short. Again, you've heard me say this many times, Christianity going out and sharing the gospel is just one beggar telling another beggar where to find the food but we are royalty in God's holy family now. Long lay the world in sin and error pining, bound by law, ensnared by the world, in sin and in error pining for that redemption. Then he appeared. Then he appeared. He finally appeared to redeem us. He faithfully appeared to adopt us. And the next line of the song says, and the soul felt its worth. Oh my goodness. Yes, you and I become heirs and heiresses of God. Look what it says in verse 6. It says, and because you are sons, and again, that's a legal term. It's yes, referring to men and women who know Christ. And because you are sons, listen to this, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts. Do you realize the moment you got saved, all that went on? No, you didn't feel it. No, you didn't experience it. But eternal things, amazing things happened the moment you cast your full faith and confidence in Jesus. Not only did he save you, not only did he redeem you and purchase you, he set you free and he sent his spirit to live within you, sealed you with him. So that wherever you go, whatever you do, 
Whether you're, whether you're struggling, whether you're in trouble, or whether you're triumphing, God's Spirit is right there with you. You are never alone. You are never alone. Not only that, but he put a crown on your head. He put a robe on your back. You are now able to enter the throne room of God boldly, confidently to find grace and help in time of need. In a royal household, only the princes and princesses can do that anytime they want to. You have access to God. Not only that, but you can have fellowship with God as you yield to him and as you yield to that spirit and as you walk with him. Jesus said, you are no longer my servants in John. He said, you are now my friends. Isn't that amazing? The world wants to tell you, you don't amount to much. We judge everybody by your performance. When we're growing up, if we don't play ball very well, we get laughed at. If we do school, we get bad grades, we get cut upon. If we're not as pretty as the other person, not as handsome as the other guy. Maybe we're a little too big. Maybe we're a little too small. We're constantly being judged, constantly being criticized, constantly being put down. Why do people put other people down? Because they're desperate to lift themselves up. But here's the reality. If you know Christ as Savior, you are a prince and a princess of God. You are a child of God. You say, but I'm worthless. <laughs> no, you're not. You're worth the Son of God taking on flesh to come and die for you. Requiring nothing of you but faith. And because you are sons, children of God, God has set forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. The word Abba there in Hebrew is, 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 is literally Daddy. If a Hebrew child, when he or she refers to their father, they're calling them daddy. You have such a connection now with God. He's not just a heavenly father up in his ivory tower. Without being disrespectful, he is your daddy. You know, I thank God for my dad. I had a dad. My dad was gone, though, sometimes. My dad was spent two years in Vietnam because he was in the military when I was little. Then he had to leave again and spend another two years in the Philippines but I knew I had a daddy. And I knew I could write my daddy a letter and he would answer me and he did. And my daddy would send me love and he would send me gifts and he would, he would tell me how much he loved me, even when he was far away. I hope that I've been that kind of daddy to my kids. Because here's the thing, parents, if you're having kids or grandkids, more often than not, kids will sometimes form their understanding of God because God is the heavenly father based on how You've parented them. You said, Pastor, that's a heavy load. Yep, it is, isn't it? Sure is. But even if you struggled with your parents, even if you had a difficult absent father, listen to here, here's the reality. You still have a heavenly father who, who through faith in Christ becomes your daddy. One of the things I told my children, because I had somebody one time say, Andy wanted me to come do something with him one day when he was about five or six. And somebody said, well, Andy, your, your dad's a pastor and he can't just drop everything and run. I said, oh, no, yes, I can. I love y'all very much, but my family comes way before y'all do. And I always told my children, if you need me, you call me. 
And if I'm in the, especially when they were little, if I'm in the, and even now, if I'm in the middle of a meeting, I will hang up the meeting and answer and talk to you. I learned that from Abraham Lincoln, of all people. When he was president, his kids could come into the Oval Office anytime if they needed him. That's the kind of God we have, folks. That's our daddy. So you might think, somebody might have told you, maybe even your own father or mother told you, oh, well, you're worthless. You're no good. You're this, you're that. Listen. You are worth something. Till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. That's what Christmas should be. It should be a time to remind you that you are worth something. We are now God's children. And as children, we are now God's heirs and heiresses. See, Paul was challenging the idea that people just don't measure up. That you got to follow the rules. You got to keep the commandments. Now, the commandments aren't bad. They're good guides for moral living. They're great. But the reality is none of us really measure up. That's why God had to step down. And he saved us and now he's raised us. So I'm here to tell you this morning, if nothing else, that yes, you are worth it. You are worth it. Not in your own right, but because God ascribed worth to you. And the worth was his son. He gave him for you and he gave him to you so that you might become his son and daughter. We are heirs of Christ. The Gospel of John tells us this. John chapter 1 and verse 12, John says, But as many as received him. What does it mean to receive Christ? We often talk about giving Christ our heart, giving Christ our life. Listen, Christ... That's not how you get saved. You don't give Christ your heart and give Christ your life. You receive from him. He does the giving. Receiving him means we come to him and we admit our sinfulness because all of us are. We own our sinfulness. And by such, we understand that we can't be good enough or strong enough to save ourselves. And receive him by faith as our Savior. We trust in him and him alone as our Savior. And the moment we do that, God saves us. And all those things and more we talked about happen at that moment. And you become a child of God. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right, the authority... To become children of God to those who believe on his name. Long lay the world in sin and error, pining, yearning, struggling. Ensnared by the elements of the world, enslaved by law and legalism. Then he appeared. And the soul felt its worth. Because you've been redeemed, purchased and released. And you become God's son and God's daughter. You are worth something. 
You are eternally important. And even now, as you trust him and as you've believed on him, even now you're the focus of God's attention. I thank God I had a loving father and mother who looked out for me, clothed me and fed me. And yes, when I got in trouble, and that was frequently, disciplined me. And it didn't seem pleasant at the time. At one point, I thought my dad was worse than Hitler. But I look back and know now why my dad disciplined me and took care of me, because he wanted me to grow up to be a good man, because he loved me that much. God does that. The book of Hebrews tells us that if we're not being disciplined by God, then we're illegitimate. Something's wrong. Because a loving father deals with his children, loves them enough to straighten them out. You are the children of God if you know Christ. You know, tonight we're going to hear the children sing. I can't wait. But you know what? As exciting and as cute as that is, and when they mess up, it's even better. Listen, you might be a grandparent or a parent sitting there tonight and your child's just doing goofy things on the stage. And you're going, oh my goodness, and you're mortified. We're loving it. We're enjoying it. Because we're going to tell that story at work for the next six weeks. Did you see that kid up there? Yeah, that was so-and-so's kid. They were hysterical. It's great. Just think about us when we come here and gather and worship. We're the children singing and worshiping God. So this morning, Christmas is about God finally appearing. And whatever you're struggling with, you just keep looking for him. He will come one way or another. Because if you know Christ, you've been redeemed, you've been adopted. And now you're his child and his heir and heiress. You are worth it for him and to him. And don't ever let, let anybody tell you different. Let's stand, heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Do you know Jesus as your Savior? Have you trusted him and him alone as your Savior? The whole book of Galatians is about the fact that we cannot keep any law. Jewish law, religious law, no law can save us. You and I can't keep it perfectly. We're incapable. That's why Jesus died. When Jesus died, the Bible tells us he took the law and nailed it to the cross. The law condemns us, but faith in Christ saves us. Maybe you're here thinking, well, I'm a good person. I, I'm a Baptist. I'm a this, I'm a that. doesn't matter what you are. Well, do I need to give Christ my heart? Do I need to give him my life? No, you need to come and receive him. Don't worry about what you have to give him. That may come later as you walk with him. But now for salvation, you need to be the receptor. You need to receive. As you cast your full faith and confidence in Christ. Because he has come to redeem you. He has come to adopt you. He has come to save you. Would you trust him if you've never trusted him? But if you're here and you do know Christ as Savior, listen. If you know Christ, if you've trusted him, his death, burial, and resurrection, you're saved, then you are a child of God. Now, again, let me make the caveat. That doesn't mean you're any better than anybody else. No, you're not. I'm not. But what it does mean is that you're part of God's royal family. It means that you're a prince and princess of God, heirs to the throne. While we haven't realized that yet in a tangible way, 
it's necessary that we live that out in a truthful way before the world. Not in self-righteousness, but in humble gratefulness. Desiring to share that good news with everyone and anyone we can. Because the world is still in sin and error. And the world is still pining for redemption. And maybe through you, Christ will appear to somebody. Maybe through you, they will hear how they can be adopted, how they they can hear that they've been redeemed through Christ. And by faith in him, they will find worth for their souls and rejoice as children and heirs of God. So please tell somebody this Christmas what Christmas really is. Please tell them that Christ came because he loves them deeply and he wants them to be part of his family. Will you do that this year for somebody? Will you share that with somebody? If you've never trusted Christ right now in the quietness of your heart, admit your sin. Admit that you can't save yourself. Cast your faith in Christ. He died for you on the cross. He was buried and rose again from the dead and he'll save you. Would you do that? Whatever decision you make, we're just going to sing quietly or hear the music rather quietly. Just listen for a brief moment and then I'll close us in prayer. And we're not going to walk down an aisle or anything. We're just going to right here where you are. I don't want you to be distracted by anything. Just listen to the music. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. Let's pray together. Just a quiet moment. What are you going to do with what you've heard? Father, as we come before you this morning, Father, we're just so grateful for this time of celebration. And we enjoy all the things associated with it. But Father, help us this morning to grasp the magnificence of it, the power of it. As we gather with our hearts struggling in our lives, Father, we pine for deliverance and help. Father, I pray that you'd invade this congregation starting with this pastor this morning. Father, for those who don't know Christ, I pray that they would place their faith finally and fully in him as their savior, once and for all. And Father, for my brothers and sisters gathered here, Lord, I call them brothers and sisters because Lord, we're, we're children in your family. You are our father. You are, we can go to you as a, as a child goes to a loving daddy. Thank you, Lord, for showing us that while others think we're worthless, you you thought that we were worth your son. And you sent your son to die so that we can become your sons and daughters. Oh, Father, may we finally and fully realize the richness of the Christmas season. And may Christ be glorified in it all. And all God's people said, amen.
For additional sermon resources and to find out who we are, visit us online at westconcordchurch.com. Thanks for listening.